This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. In this current COVID reality, we're focusing on all the ways that we can stay flexible, adaptable, and agile so that we can impact our rapidly changing world for the sake of the gospel. We're all in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us. Hey, welcome back to Church for the Rest of Us. Jimmy Scroggins, as always, from high atop our office complex in downtown West Palm Beach, Florida. That is the third floor in this little room where we do podcasts. Joining me, as always, my co-host, Leslie Bennett, and also today, very, very special guest, Mark Clifton, who is the director of replanting at the North American Mission Board. Leslie, it's awesome to have Mark with us, and just his ministry of replanting is something that's really close to the heart here at Family Church. I know, exactly. And especially with this season we're doing, Mark, on we're calling it Church Reimagined. So we'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your family, and what you do at the North American Mission Board. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It's great to be with you. I get to lead a wonderful team of guys at the North American Mission Board whose sole purpose is to uh, rescue dying churches so they don't close their doors. Because there's nothing about a dying church that glorifies God. There's nothing about a dying church or a dead church that can help rescue a family or restore a community. Mm. So it's absolutely important that we not let these churches just die and go away. So that's what I do. I've worked as a church planter for 30 years. I was able to plant churches in uh, Canada and in in Georgia and in Kansas, Nebraska and Missouri for 30 years as a home missionary and North American board missionary. But then I became a director of missions and I went to a city and, and we had so many churches that were dying that were literally going to close their doors. In fact, it's hard to imagine, but, the reality is that among Southern Baptists, we have about eight or 900 churches a year that close their doors. Wow. And over 70, over 75% of those churches are in communities larger than 100,000 people. So we're closing churches where we need churches. So when I went back to be a director of missions. I, I you know, I, I was I just said, you know, Lord, if you want to use me to replant or to, to help reignite nine churches that I'm, I'm all in for that. It was sort of the last half of my life. I was about to turn 50. And I thought, you know, maybe it's time to play the game a little different near the end, you know. And so I did. And I stayed for 10 years at this church in Kansas City and God brought it back. We're 18 people when I got there. We can talk about that later if you want to. But God brought it back. And out of that, he really taught me a lot about how to reclaim dying churches. And so that's what I've been doing. And I live in Kansas City over on the Kansas side. I have two wonderful grown sons, two wonderful daughter-in-laws, four grandsons, and a, a very special wife. So, uh, and I, I passed her a brand new, a brand new replant. Started back in May. We can talk about that later too. We, but I'm also a pastor of a replant church here in Kansas. I mean, that makes for a busy life, Mark. And I tell you, it seems like there's a huge kind of a a burgeoning interest in replanting right now, revitalizing churches. Maybe more than I've ever seen in uh, my adult lifetime. At least there's a public, more public conversation going on. Why do you think that that is? I think it's an answer to prayer. I think people have prayed for, for years. You know, I think people are praying for our country every day, praying for our country. Well, the answer really to our country, the primary answer is the church. And that's the answer. And so if we're seeing 800, 900 Southern Baptist churches and 4,000 evangelical churches close every year, then we need to really cry out to God to do something to turn that around. And I think we've been praying. I think I know Baptists have been praying for that for, for many years. And I think as a result of all those prayers, God is truly beginning to do amazing work. And for the first time in my life, I've been doing this work for 40 years. And for the first time, the last uh, five or seven or eight years, uh, Southern Baptists have turned their energy, their focus, their passion, their narrative toward dying churches and not away from them. 
I mean, Jimmy, when I was at the home mission board back in the 80s and 90s and even the North American Mission Board in the early 2000s, we avoided nine churches. We felt like they were black holes. We felt like they were black holes that would just suck your resources into nothing. You would never see them again. So what we did, well, let's just go across the street and start something brand new. And as a church planter, I can tell you it's easier to go across the street and start something brand new. It, we put Christmas lights up at our house and I, I'm a very short attention span and I, I, I'm not very, uh, I like to put them up. I don't like to take them down. And, uh, and, when, and when I take them down, I got a neighbor I like, like that them up neatly. So I just kind of put them in a bag and throw them in the basement. Right. Well, my wife's really type a and everything has its place. And so uh, it comes the you know, during the lights out the next fall, I pull them out and they're just all knotted up. This is absolutely true. I mean, I mean, I've done this for the last three years. Uh, I'll be sitting on the front porch with this knotted bunch of lights and I'll spend maybe four or five minutes trying to figure out how to untangle them. And then I'm done. I, I, I got too much to do. To so I take the them store. down to Home Depot where you can donate your lights. Right. <laughs> and I donate them. And then I just go down and buy some brand new ones. And it was like, that was a lot easier. And that's kind of like replanting dying churches. Each just go start something new. So why would we spend all this time and energy and money and resources untangling the lights? Because that's the bride of Christ. And because a dying church doesn't bring any glory to God. And because God's, God's glory is at stake in that community. If that church sat there for 100 years on that corner or 50 years on that corner and said, we believe the Bible from Genesis to the map in the back. We believe the gospel. We believe Jesus has the answer for your life. Oh, but wait a minute. He couldn't keep our church open. It really robs God of his glory. So it's worth the effort now to do the hard work of untangling those lights rather than necessarily just going to buy some brand new ones. Now, we still start a lot of new churches, but we are seeing over 200 churches a year the last two years that have replanted and are doing better now than they've ever done in their entire life. So God's doing a pretty amazing thing in replanting. That's so exciting, Mark. And I tell you, I wonder if COVID, if you're seeing anything different, COVID, post-COVID, has that created a new sense of urgency? Or I don't know, I'm just wondering if that, if you've seen any effect of that. Yeah, our team's been busier in COVID than pre-COVID. So we have, you know, we've been to a lot of Zoom stuff. We did have an in-person meeting this week, but it's all been mostly Zoom. But here's here's the deal. If you had a pre-existing condition, you were more at risk for COVID and mm. you were more at risk for some serious consequences from COVID. If your church had a pre-existing condition right, and COVID point. comes along, it's going to expose all of that. So what it's done, Jimmy, is churches that might, usually churches don't accept the replant pathway until they have no other options. Mm. Okay. And we just kind of walk alongside them until they finally say, okay, we really are done now. And then we give them the options. But COVID has sped that up. And it's like, they realize, okay, we don't have any more options. We, we don't have enough energy, enough people, and we can't come back after COVID. And so, yes, it has sped it up. And we've seen a huge uptick in churches willing to relinquish control. Replanting a church is a bit like rescuing a drowning swimmer. You kind of got to wait until the fight's out of them before you pull them to the shore. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so COVID has helped kind of get them ready to be pulled to the shore, I guess. So how does that work, Mark, for someone that's thinking about that or thinking, having that realization, I need to replant, I need to revitalize? Like, what does that look like? What are those steps that they need to take? Well, if you're talking about a church itself, I think the church really has to examine itself. You know, a lot of times there's denial. We're really not that bad. We're not any worse than other churches. Every church is declining. And, you know, and we're okay. We still meet every Sunday, maybe every Sunday night, maybe every Wednesday night. We still print a bulletin. We still have a part-time secretary. 
Uh, you know, maybe we don't have as many people as we used to, but we're still fine. We still have money in the bank. Meanwhile, and they take a look at their long term, where they've been, their trajectory. It's going down in terms of, of evangelism, in terms of membership, in terms of giving, while the neighborhood is changing and evolving and there's all kinds of people around. And so one of the first things is they really need to have come to a, a stark realization of what their condition truly is. It's a little bit like a guy who goes to the doctor, and this is not totally a testimony, but you go to the doctor, okay. and you go, hey, I feel pretty good, you know, for the age I am. You know, I got no problems. And they take your blood and they go, you got some issues. I go, no, I don't. Nah, that's it. Yeah, I'm fine. I, I know because I feel fine and I, I'm fine. No, you've got some issues. No, I really don't. And unless I take those issues seriously, I'm not going to change my lifestyle. And so it's similar with a dying church. First thing is they have to really see where they are. That's the, the first thing. And then after that, we do have some options. We can help them understand different ways that God can rebirth. Listen, here's the deal. Jesus has a plan for every church. I mean, he, he's not in heaven looking down at your church going, I don't know. I've never seen anything like that. I don't know what you're going to do. I mean, he knows. He knows what he's going to do in every church. We just have to be willing to lay down our plans and accept his plan. As you're doing that uh, around the country, tell me the kinds of wins that people are gaining by engaging in this replanning process. Yeah, I did a really cool one. I was supposed to, a year ago now, I was supposed to head down to Birmingham. I live in Kansas. Head down to Birmingham and be there uh, on weekends and be the interim transitional pastor at McElwain Baptist Church in Birmingham. And McElwain has a pretty good history. It's been a very influential church for years. It has a sanctuary seated about 800, but they were down to about 100 people. And they wanted me to come down. They read my book and they wanted me to come down on weekends and help, help them decide what pathway to take. Well, COVID came. And so we waited a month or two. And then they, they called me and said, look, let's just do this virtually. So I was a virtual interim for several months. And I helped walk them through a process of what it would look like if they were willing to lay down all their priorities and all of their agenda and truly seek what Jesus would want for their church. And it turned out what Jesus wanted for their church was for them to be adopted by Shades Mountain. So over a process of several months, Shades Mountain came into the picture we began working together with the two churches to help them understand what that would look like. And sure enough, even during COVID, they, they agreed to do that. Uh, the church voted to become part of Shades Mountain. Shades Mountain adopted them. And we don't talk about takeover, Jimmy. We talk about adoption. A takeover is a corporate thing. It's harsh. It's, it's like, I'm taking your resources. I may sell them off. You know, I don't care about the remaining employees. We, churches don't take over churches. Churches adopt churches. And in adopting, you want that child. I mean, you, you work hard to get it to be, a, to be an adoptive parent. You go through a lot of effort. You prepare a room for the kid. You prepare. You're so excited. You're telling your parents. You, you, you remember the day the child came home. You want that child. But the adopted child realizes, I don't lose who I am, but now I'm part of a new culture. And I'm part of a new future. And I'm part of a new family. So we think adoption explains it really well. So, yeah, that church was adopted. And they are they're just doing wonderful. I mean, it is just, I can just tell you time after time. And it's not because, listen, it's not because this is a magic formula. It's not because some denominational guy figured this thing out or somebody wrote a book. It's because this is often Jesus plan for that church. He wants them to lay down their idols and accept what he wants. And usually what he wants is for them to let someone else come in and lead them for a while because their real issue is a lack of leadership, a lack of vision. Yeah, let's talk about that because I think that's so vital. So we've done quite a few. We call them strategic partnerships. And so mm-hmm. we've had done quite a few of these at Family Church. And there's this huge trend around the country 
on this whole idea of merger, strategic partnership, church adoptions. What are the pluses and minuses for, you know, when should a church say, look, we can revitalize ourselves. And when should they say, you know what, we probably need someone to help. Well, part of it is what we call sort of the death projector. That's kind of a weird way of putting it. But <laughs> we, have, uh, we, have, we have church plant projectors where we can look at a church plant and say, okay, if you continue this way over the next five years, this is where you'll probably be. We do have help churches look at their past 20 years of, of uh, AC annual church profile information and track it. And we say, you know, here's your track, right? And then here's the neighborhood, the community, and its track. And at some point, you're going to be underwater. That doesn't mean they can't sell the parsonage or they can't sell some property or a dear saint might not pass away and leave them some money. We call that life support. We don't factor that in. So a church can really be on life support for a long, long, long time. But in essence, they're really already dead. That's a really good point because people say to me all the time, well, that church over there, they're going to die. And if you mean die in terms of effectiveness, that already happened. But if a church has no debt and they got 50 people, they can pay Aunt Bertha 50 bucks a week to play the piano and they can get somebody to preach something for not very much. And they can actually go along and keep the doors open for a long. It doesn't take a lot of money to keep the lights on the grass cut if that's all you care about. That's exactly right. But that church really has, you know, and and frankly, there's only one place in the New Testament where death of a church is spoken of. You know, Paul never thought we ought to shut down the Corinthian church, even though it was a, a huge mess. But Jesus did say, I will remove your lampstand. Mm. And the truth of the matter is the death of a church. We just got to call it what it is. I, you know, I think many times it is out of their out of our disobedience. And here's the deal, Jimmy. I want to be real careful about this. I think a lot of people in that church intentionally think they're being disobedient. The adversary has blinded them to the truth, and he's done an incredibly cynical transaction in their life and in their heart. He has got them to lay down their primary love of Jesus and what he wants, and they picked up a love of that church as they know it and experience it. And in a world that's changing so rapidly and a culture that's changing daily, everything from the way we view human relationships and sexuality, marriage, the way we shop, (laughs) the way we buy a car, to the way we watch TV, everything's changing so quick. And so if you're in your 60s or 70s or something, and you got one place every week you can go to and walk in, and it's exactly like it's always Mm. been, that becomes an idol to you. Among other things, an idol is something you run to for comfort, meaning, and security. And so it's that's that's where I get my comfort. And this is this is this is the pew I sit in. This is the hymnal I sing out of. This is the Sunday school class I go to. This is the door I come in. This is the parking spot <laughs> I park in. You, you can't take these things away. And the reality of it is you know something's a false idol if you're afraid of losing it. And you have to help them lay down those false idols and then say, well, whatever Jesus wants. And if Jesus wants us to be adopted or merged, if he wants us to change our name, if he wants us to take the pews out and if he wants us to put in a coffee shop so that we can reach more people then it's whatever Jesus wants and it's getting them to move and here's the bottom line Jimmy there's no joy in what I want there's joy only when I follow what Jesus wants so it's best for the remaining members it's best for the community it's best for the gospel there's no downside to replanting the dying church now if the church isn't at the point of closing the next three to five years you know that's not going to happen then it's possible that at that point you want to look at revitalization. And revitalization is if, if you make certain changes, even small changes, but over a long period of time, the trajectory will take you in a different place. But in a replant, 
you don't have a long period of time. You're basically already dead. And so you've got to make some more drastic changes. So that's kind of the difference we look at that. Do you ever, when you try to replant a church, do you, is it necessary to change out the pastor or can the same pastor replant his own church? Here's the deal, Jimmy. That's a great question. I get that all the time. The same man can pastor the revitalization, but he can't be the same pastor. He Mm -hmm. has to become a different pastor. So if if God does a huge work in his heart, in his life, and changes everything, he can't. But here's the reality. Are you ready for this? I mean this in all seriousness. That almost never happens. Generally speaking, it's sort of a Moses and and, uh, Joshua thing. You know, a guy's got to realize just saying fails, as Spurgeon would say. A guy's got to realize that his job may be bring them to the point where he could turn it over to a Joshua. But, you know, Moses didn't ever resist or resent Joshua. Joshua wasn't his son. Uh, God picked Joshua. Moses really, you know, wasn't one of Moses' sons. And Moses was one that did all the hard work in the desert. But Joshua got to take him into the promised land. And Moses didn't complain about that. And so I think there again, it's sort of laying down that idol. Is this church really? And, you know, it wasn't, the story wasn't about Moses. The story was about God. And so, again, is this my story as the pastor? Do I'm the one that has mm. to be part of the revival? Or was my job to bring them here and then turn them over to a Joshua? You know, we found that conversation very difficult, too, Mark. And many times we've been in initial conversation with churches about helping them replant or revitalize, whether they're going to do And we want to help them whether they do a strategic partnership with Family Church or not. But that is one of the biggest obstacles is you have a senior leader who's been there a long time. And you say, hey, if we're going to move forward— I think we need to have you in a different position. I don't know whether it's in a different church or in a different place, but like your ability to lead this forward with the kind of rapid and, you know, big changes that are going to have to be made, it's just going to be too tough. And that often becomes the sticking point because maybe that leader isn't ready to step aside or step down. And until that can happen, it sometimes seems like they're stuck in the mud. Oh, you're absolutely right. And I, Again, I, to go back to the Moses analogy, you go back and read Deuteronomy 34. Moses was never happier than when God said, you're not going into the promised land. He, <laughs> he prayed the most beautiful prayers. He did. He sang the most beautiful songs. You know, he would argue with God all the time, Moses would, right? You know, take my life, not these people. And, you know, don't let me, I don't want to speak. Let my brother speak. When God said, you're not going, he's like, it's almost as though he understood that was a relief. Yeah. My, my work is done. And he had this amazing intimate moment with God where God buried him. No one, no one else. And I'm not saying that a revival is <laughs> saying the pastor got to get buried. No, pastor, you could have, you could have your most intimate moment with Christ uh, at that point. If, if you were willing to relinquish control and let, and then God will have something else for you to do. That's really, really meaningful. And so I, I totally agree. And here's one last thing. And, and hope that pastors who are listening to this understand we're not talking about because you're old, you got to be kicked to the side of the road. I mean, no. I'm old and I'm replanting the church. What we're talking about is you probably over the last decade or so, you cared deeply for that flock. All right. And you wanted to protect them from all kinds of hurt. And you were there when their pet, when their spouse passed away, you were there when they had surgery, you were there when their grandchildren had issues. You've been with them through all kinds of things. Well, your kind of default is to protect them from anything that's uncomfortable. And really, you can't do that and move them where they need to be. And so it's hard for you to take the strengths that you've had in pastoring them and shepherding them and transition that into vision. They won't see you as that kind of leader. In fact, they would probably see you as sort of being mean to them because that's not the way they know you. 
Whereas a new leader comes in and this is just a new lead. This is just a new day. So that that's the way we look at it as well. So Mark, I'm wondering if you have any advice or encouragement for someone who's listening to our podcast today, a pastor or a ministry leader of a small or medium-sized church, and this is resonating with them, and they think they might need to revitalize their church. What kind of advice or encouragement would you give that person? Yeah, there's all kinds of great resources out there, but mainly, I, seriously, I, I mean this with all my heart. The whole reason I'm in this work is just listen to what, I mean, Jesus really does have a plan for your church. He has a plan for your life. And the problem is, we think, you know, I heard someone say the other day, this is so good. Andy Addis said this the other day in our meeting in Atlanta. Check this out, man. This is worth listening to the podcast uh-huh. right here. It's not, it's not even my words. As a pastor, I don't know about you, Jimmy, but I, I'm, Andy and I agree as a pastor, weddings are not our favorite thing because weddings are all about the bride, you know? I mean, it's, I mean, it's all about her, right? I mean, if she could do the wedding without me or the groom, she probably would. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, sure. It's all about her. And the reality is, it's the flowers and everything looks like everything. Nothing looks like the groom. It's all about the bride. And the bride wears this bridal gown, right? And the groom wears a tux he rented that uh, a high school kid wore to prom last weekend, right? So, I mean, it's, it, and you, almost as if, if she could have the wedding without him there, she probably would. The problem with that sort of emphasis on the bride, which I understand why we do that, is that the message of the church, of, of the gospel, is that there is a, a marriage and we're the bride and he's the bridegroom. And sometimes it's as though, well, we have to have Jesus here, but we're really the attention. It's really about our church. It's really all about us. We really can do all this ourselves. Yeah, he's here, but he's not the focus. And actually the bridegroom's the focus. Jesus is the focus. It's, it's not about what we want. It's about what he wants. And so oftentimes in churches, until they get to the place that they're willing to say, this isn't all about us. This is about what Jesus wants. And here's the reality, Jimmy. Henry Blackaby used to always say, God's under no obligation, nor will he resource your plans for his church. But he'll spare nothing from heaven to resource his plan for his church. And so when your church is dying, it's not because God doesn't want to resource it or he can't. It's because you've got the wrong plan. You focus on the bride not on the groom and you you've got to put the attention on the groom and what does he want for us so i would say it starts with that with really seeing what does jesus want for this church not what do i want for this church and eventually what jesus wants will be what i want when i get close enough to him yeah mark i appreciate that so much so as we kind of wind this down Let's give them some resources. Tell us about your book. Tell us about if they want to contact you or the North American Mission Board for help replanning and revitalizing, what do they do? Yeah, well, I got a book that I wrote a few years ago called Reclaiming Glory, where basically we're trying to talk about how we do this for God's glory. There's a couple of other really good books, Replant Roadmap. You can look that up on Amazon. And a a great book called uh, Biblical Revitalization by Brian Croft. Those are three really books we use a lot. We have a website called Church Replanters. That's plural, churchreplanters.com. Most everything I've said is on there. You can join called the Replant Collective. we got about 5,000 guys on that. That's every week we throw out good resources, blogs, podcasts, book reviews, all on church revitalization to you. We have a number of conferences, both online and now in person all year long. And you can find out about those at churchreplanters.com. You can talk to your local director of missions. This past week in Atlanta, we trained over 200 local director of missions. We've trained over 800 in the last three years. So more and more directors of missions are learning how to help churches come to this replant situation. So talk to your director of missions or your state convention as well. 
They've got, I'm going Monday to Dallas to meet with the state convention leaders who are doing revitalization. So they're really helpful as well in that work. But there's a great network out there of guys and, and ladies who are passionate about replanting and revitalizing the church. Here's the bottom line. Since Kevin Izell came to the North American Mission Board, we have changed the narrative. It used to always be just leave that knotted up bunch of Christmas lights on the porch and go buy something new. But for the first time in the history of really of the North American Mission Board and of the Home Mission Board, we're focusing on those knotted up balls of light. And it takes a little while longer, but once we untangle them, it's a beautiful thing. And so that's what we're trying to do. Thanks so much, Mark, for being such a champion for replanting and revitalizing churches for the North American Mission Board. Really appreciate your time and being on with us today. Really appreciate our listeners joining too. I hope this has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. As always, at Church for the Rest of Us, we want to help you. We want to bless you. Any way you want to get in contact with us, social media, email, jump on our website. We'd love to connect with you, to hear from you, and to do anything we can to help your church be everything that God wants it to be. We believe that you can do it. We believe that you can take the resources that you have and God can change your church and your church can be what God wants it to be, just as Mark said. Hey, this is Mark Clifton, Leslie Bennett, Jimmy Scroggins signing off. Church for the rest of us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out familychurchnetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want to hear what you're doing so that we can all learn from each other. We're in this together. We are church for the rest of us. Until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins, staying flexible, adaptable, and agile, all for the sake of the gospel.